This is SMDC. And it was almost overnight that soldiers still were running over the underbody mines, still getting the IED attacks, but now they were walking away. You can ask just about anybody I talk to. I always say I saved the very best job for last, and I really mean that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 12 of The High Ground, U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command's official podcast. I'm Ronald Bailey, a.k.a. Beetle. It's November 2021, and to kick off Season 2 of the podcast, Lyra Fry, SMDC's Director of Public Affairs, had the opportunity to engage with a very special member of our command staff who will be retiring from civil service next month, Mr. James Johnson, SMDC's deputy to the commanding general. To begin, Lyra will guide us through his three-and-a-half-decade-long career with the Army and Missile Defense Agency to get to know him a little better. Later, though, he offers some great historical perspective and career advice to the current and future workforce. Whether you're an Army civilian or a soldier, you won't want to miss out on this rare opportunity. It's fitting that SMDC's deputy to the commander, James Johnson's 34-year career with the federal government, should end where it began, right here in Huntsville. The journey started 34 years ago when a young engineer started his first job at Redstone Arsenal. I'm an electrical engineering major, uh, so I went to the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Later, I went back to UAH and, and got a master's degree in systems engineering. And then many years after that, I went to the Army War College and got a master's in strategic studies. So that's my education background. And, and after getting out of college the first time, uh, I, had, I had a lot of opportunities at various places. But uh, some people that gave me some advice said, if you really want to learn how to be an engineer, go out to the arsenal and work in the labs or out on the range. And, and, and you will learn it inside and out. And so that's, that's what I did. I, I went to work for what's now called the Redstone Test Center. I was in uh, the electronics lab, spent a lot of time on the ranges, and literally just worked on something like every system uh, that Redstone Arsenal managed at, at, at the time and just got my hands dirty and, and learned a, a lot uh, you know, from the ground up. Excited to be working in his field, he aspired to take on more managerial and leadership responsibilities, taking his first step on the path to becoming a Tier 3 SES. So I spent uh, probably 14, my first 14 years doing that. And then uh, something clicked in me. And I said, you know, I've probably done this long enough. And I, I was more interested in getting into the leadership aspects of what we do and wanted to be a manager. So so I uh, looked around and, and, and started applying for jobs and ended up at the Missile Defense Agency. So there's where I got my first taste of being a supervisor and worked my way up. And probably one of the first big breaks I had was being put in charge of their uh, test operations division. So I was in charge of ground testing and flight testing, and I had a, a group of about 150 people. So that was the first big break I had, and, and then that's when I went to the Army War College, and that opened up some doors for me. After War College, Johnson went back to become the director of Redstone Test Center, a subordinate element of Army Test and Evaluation Command in charge of seven to 800 people. Fast forward a few years, and Johnson was selected to join the ranks of the Senior Executive Service and took a position as the Developmental Test Command Director, putting him in charge of all Army test ranges and further broadening his experience. 
So now that exposed me to every commodity that the army that the army has, not not just missiles and helicopters, but but weapons and and chem, chem bio and you name it, tanks, trucks, everything. So really got exposed to a lot, learned a lot, uh, loved being up there, but I sort of was a little homesick and wanted to come back to Redstone. And uh, so the Aviation and Missile Command had a position open up that I that I put in for and, and was able to come back to Redstone. It was more in the logistics field, so that was way outside of my comfort zone. So I learned an awful lot in that period I was in that job. It, w- it was a great experience. In 2015, Johnson joined the SMDC team as the director of what was then known as the Future Warfare Center. And in 2016, he was subsequently selected for his current position as the SMDC deputy to the commander. With all of those assignments spanning 34 years, his favorite? Well, of course, I would say it's this one, and I, and I really mean it. If, if, if you can ask just about anybody I talk to, I always say I saved the very best job for last, and I really mean that. Uh, not that I didn't like the other jobs. They were all fun. It just seems like everywhere I've worked, there was always great aspects. But uh, this job is just you just have to pinch yourself every day when you wake up. This You know, uh, uh, you just can't believe you have gotten in a position like this. You know, how, how did I ever get selected for this? I, I, I just ask myself that every day uh and and you know we we do cool stuff great mission uh you know all the things with hypersonics and high energy lasers and satellites you know that's all cool and neat but it's the people that that make it so special and and, and we just have the best team environment of anywhere i've ever worked and, and it just is such a pleasure to come to work every day the deputy to the commander for an Army Service Component Command with active forces and elements across 22 locations and 10 time zones is a complex job. So how does he describe his job? Does it change depending on the commander? Yeah, that's a good question, and that's what I would tell him because it sort of varies by who our, our commanding general is. You know, my, my job responsibilities, some of them are pretty fixed, but a lot of them vary by just just the personality of who our commanding general is. So some of those enduring responsibilities that I have, uh, I would liken it to, like if we were on a train, the, the commanding general is the conductor. He's the guy out front that everybody sees waving and, and you know, uh, the, the face of the command. I'm more of the guy in the back shoveling the coal, keeping the operations going, keeping the fire hot. And so what that really means is, uh, is, is I'm more of the support side. So, so my responsibilities include uh, all the budgeting, uh, you know, budget execution, uh, the POM process, all of that, making sure we have money coming into the command. Uh, I'm in charge of contracting. So, um, you know, everything we do is, is by contracting. I'm in charge of uh, civilian personnel matters. So, uh, so, so all of those uh, things, there's a lot that goes on with that. And, and then another enduring uh, responsibility I have is I am the authorizing official for all of our IT resources. So that ends up taking a good bit of my time. That's just a background thing, but can't operate any of them without doing all the accreditation and certification that we have to do. So that, that's, uh, you know, the, the sort of the known part of my job. The part where I don't know from a day-to-day basis is, as you can imagine, having a three-star general, 
general, his time is just in extremely high demand. And so he gets pulled two and three directions at any given time on, on just about every day. So obviously he can't do be everywhere at once. So we try to prioritize what's the best place for him to be on at a particular time. And then I, and, you know, and then I, I do what's next in priority. And so again, that kind of thing sort of varies from commanding general to commanding general. I'm on my third one now with General Carbler. Uh, they've all been such a pleasure to work for, but all three that I've worked for were as different from each other as night and day. As his civil service career winds down, Johnson talks about the changes he's seen in the Army civilian workforce over the last three and a half decades. Well, I think back uh, as I was coming up in my career, the word mentoring was not just wasn't a thing like it is now. You know, now it's pretty commonplace and we encourage everybody to get mentoring. And of course, we do mentoring events here in the command and you'll see it at other commands quite regularly as well. When I was starting out, uh, you just never heard that. It was, uh, and, and even if you did seek out advice from somebody more than half the time, they would say, well, I don't know, you, you got to go figure it out. So it just seemed like early on, uh, the, just the civilian workforce wasn't nearly as organized as the military model. Uh, we, we've come a long way in, in, in my career. Uh, you know, it's much more obvious now what you should do as a civilian to succeed in your career. The changes weren't only with the civilian workforce, but also with soldiers. Another uh, thing that, uh, that comes to mind is if you look around at our soldiers uh, that have been around for any period of time, you notice almost all of them have a combat patch. Um, and, and so it's because they've been deployed and they've been in battle, you know, they, they've been in harm's way. Uh, when I came in 34 years ago, maybe the gray-haired colonels had a combat patch from when they were in Vietnam, but most of the, the soldiers I ever worked with had never been in combat. So, uh, so in many respects, our army today is so much more experienced uh, in, in real, you know, real battlefield operations that, uh, compared to then. Johnson spent much of his career supporting or leading research and development, science and technology, and test and evaluation. He talks about how the Army's attitude toward these projects and programs has changed over the years, particularly for SMDC. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. One, one is actually right here at SMDC. Uh, you know, I mentioned uh, what we're doing in hypersonics, directed energy, which is high energy lasers and high power microwaves, small satellites. Uh, when I came into the command in 2015 as the director of the Future Warfare Center, what's now the Center of Excellence, uh, part of my duties uh, was to be a proponent. For, for those capabilities. So I, I was up, you know, talking to senior leaders in the Pentagon, trying to convince them that the Army needed to invest in those capabilities. And uh, a lot of times the perception was, yeah, those are good science projects. You heard that a lot, but, but yeah, the Army's just not ready to, to jump into that. And so to their credit, they would always give us enough money to keeping them under development. Um, but then, you know, again, that was 15, and we're now here we are in 2021. Somewhere in there, the Army said, you know what, that is where we want to go. And uh, now, uh, 
hypersonics, directed energy, and small sets are uh, in the top five or six priorities for the whole Army right now. So in just those few years, uh, just being part of the command that, that just uh, didn't give up and, and kept those things going, now they're, they're on the front burner. And so that, that's been uh, uh, very fulfilling to just be a part of that. Looking back across his career, I asked Mr. Johnson what advice he would give Army civilians to improve their chances of success and growth in their careers. You know, I always tell people if you want to succeed, maybe even become an SES someday, it's really important that you broaden yourself. Don't don't stay in one place too long. You know, a lot of people just stay in the same command, the same office for years and years. Well, I actually violated that myself. I stayed 14 years in my first job. And, and what I discovered is, uh, you, you know, you might have a good reputation for doing that specific job, but then it's hard to break out of that. You, you know, people have in their mind, oh, you're just a fill in the blank, you know, but, but when you try to up, you know, get a job doing something else. It's like, well, I don't know. You know, you've never proven yourself in that. So that took a little bit of effort and a little bit of help from people to, to help me broaden myself. And uh, so, so again, I, I lived, uh, that, there's a reason why I always advise people to, to do this because I, I violated it myself. When it comes to supervisors he's had over the years who impressed him and formed some of his own leadership style, one stood out. Yeah, the, the guy that hired me way back, 34 years ago, <clears throat> a gentleman named Charlie Crocker, uh, that was at Redstone Test Center. Uh, he has been retired for several years. I still run into him from time to time. Uh, but the thing that stood out about Charlie is he had what's now commonly referred to as an empowerment management style. And so, again, this is in labs where you can really get hurt, you know, get electrocuted or blow something up. So, so so, you know, to his credit, he, he trusted me and a lot of my young colleagues a lot to uh, just get in there and learn. Uh, and and uh, it, he wasn't just hovering over us. It was like, I just want you to get in there and learn this stuff. And, of course, we made mistakes. And he, he, he welcomed that. It's like mistakes are okay as long as you learn from it. So if you made a mistake, he would sit down, okay, what did you do wrong? What can you do to not make that mistake again? So that uh, I, I give him a lot of credit for just just getting me off on the right foot and some of that management style stuck with me over the years. In his 34 years of government service as an engineer, manager, and senior leader, Johnson has supported or directed a large number of programs and projects, but there was one that he looked back on with the most pride. And it's one that didn't just make things better for soldiers. It literally saved soldiers' lives. The other thing that, that I look back on with some pride is uh, when I was at ATEC, I was at Aberdeen Proving Grounds. So if you think back, that was in about the 2007, 2008 time frame. Our soldiers uh, that were deployed uh, would be on patrol, typically in a Humvee, and uh, they were just... Uh, getting hammered by underbody mines, uh, IED attacks, and we were losing soldiers daily. And, and if they didn't lose their life, they, they just had severe injuries. And so um, the Army decided to uh, rapidly acquire and field the MRAP capabilities, uh, this mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles. It's a family of vehicles. And so ATEC was a big part of that. Of course, the PM community was. And normally, if you tried to design and develop and test and field that kind of capability, that much capability, it would take 10 years. You know, that, that, that's, that's sort of how, it, how it's always been. 
but in this case it was a rapid acquisition and uh, and we literally worked 24 hours a day we had multiple shifts going on and we got that capability out in six months and it was almost overnight that soldiers still were running over the underbody mines, still getting the ID attacks, but now they were walking away, uninjured, not losing their lives. And just being a part of that team uh, just made you feel really good. From all of us here at the High Ground Studio and SMDC soldiers and civilians across the globe, we want to thank Mr. Johnson for sharing his experiences with us and for his 34 years of dedicated service to the Department of Defense, the Army, and the nation. To learn more about SMDC's exciting missions, units, and people across the world, check out our social media or webpage at www.smdc.army.mil. For the High Ground Studio at Redstone Arsenal, I'm Lyra Fry. Thanks for listening.